Welcome, everyone. I'm Grandpa Jimmy, your host, and you're listening to the Family and Stories podcast, where we speak with people from all walks of life who have a story to tell. But these are not just any story. These are stories that reveal the love and the grace of God working through the life of an individual. And today you're going to hear one of the most amazing stories of God's grace that I've had the privilege of sharing. It's one that will give hope to those who feel hopeless and encouragement to those who wonder if the struggle to overcome the flesh can ever, ever be won. I met my guest 10 or 12 years ago while I was working with AWMI, Andrew Womack Ministries. Now, I would never in a million years have guessed the backstory of this woman. You'll hear that today. But more importantly, you'll see how God can change a life and make it completely new. My guest is Doreen Stump. She lives in Lysilla, Georgia, where she founded a ministry called Lighthouse World Changers, a ministry for and to women and their children who are dealing with the effects of trauma and abuse. She's a certified alcohol and drug counselor with a degree in psychology, addiction counseling from Liberty University. And she recently completed a book entitled Stripped of Shame. It's really a front row seat to the life and mind of an addiction, crippling effects of drugs, alcohol, and childhood trauma. Most important of all, it's about God's miraculous, life-changing power. Doreen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I have been looking forward to this. I know that what you have to say is really going to help a lot of people. And uh, just to begin with, uh, you're married now, right? Yes, I'm married. Married 12 years this year. To Mr. Robert Stump. You know, we know him. (laughs) And he's a clown. We also know he's a clown. We should get him on the show. He he could be the color (laughs) for the show, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, for the past 20 plus years... You've been on a quite a journey of transformation and restoration, if I understand this correctly. So yeah. let's just start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your life as a young girl and a young woman. Okay, well, um, as a young girl, I grew, I actually was born in New York. I lived there till I was about eight years old, and our pa- my parents moved uh, our family to West Palm Beach, Florida. South Florida. And there, um, as I got into my teens, um, I started actually in junior high school, um, hanging out with, uh, you know, trying to still make friends and trying to fit in. That's when things started to evolve as far as life of disobedience and craziness. And so it was early on that I started experiencing stuff. Now, were you from a Christian? Were you from a Christian family? um, From my home point, standards or from that point my my mother was uh she's just a very emotional person and uh my father from what i remember you know he he's an ex marine sergeant uh you know in the marine corps and um he drank a lot you know as as a child i just remember seeing a lot of that there was a lot of discord um growing up in my home there were times that i didn't know whether or not uh, if it was if it was even safe to come home from hanging out over at my friend's house across the street but then there were also times that were very pleasant, but those times that were unpleasant were very pleasant. Um, but it was in those times that a lot of condemnation, a lot of shame built. I felt like I grew up in a, in a landmine sometimes. You know, they were struggling, just trying to make a living, 
um, moved to a new to a new city to a new place. Um, everything was different for them, so they were under a lot of a lot of stress. And so with that came a lot of discord and uh, in the home. And so I and my brother were very much a part of that. And he became my safe place for me. Um, my parents were very much involved in trying to find jobs and working and just trying to do whatever they could do to provide a decent home for us. And that we did have. Would, would you say you raised yourself? I would say that my brother raised me. When I consider being raised, and this is what I've been learning and um and this is what I like to share. <clears throat> it wasn't so much the provision. Uh, the provisions were always there. But my father worked very hard. My mother worked very hard. And they provided for us everything we needed. Even so much so that, you know, I know that my mom even had to pawn her own jewelry just so we could have things. You know, so what was lacking was the nurture and the comfort and the love, the love in the sense that I felt it, that I felt welcomed and accepted, that I wasn't a burden and more of an obligation rather than just being a daughter. That's one of the things I found with a lot of young women is they, yeah. they really, really need the love of their dad. Yeah. And uh, they, they need that touchy feeling, hug and kiss and that, that emotion that comes with that and that safety that comes from a father. You know, as I got older, um, you know, I got involved in a lot of different things and it just it really started for me at the bus stop, believe it or not, at the bus stop. And mothers beware. Um, I saw this boy, beautiful blue eyes, a great smile. And uh, he said hi to me. And because I needed that attention and that affection and just somebody just to acknowledge me and not feel that sense of rejection all the time, did that, I, you know, it did something in me. And I just was like, okay. And so it just kind of escalated from there. But but the reason why he was always so smiley and happy was that he was high. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I knew about alcohol that and I knew that about you know, partying because my family, um, you know, every weekend, all my cousins and my aunts and uncles, everybody would come over and they would drink and play dominoes and play cards. And, you know, in fact, that kind of led to some uh, gory things, which I explain in my book about being uh, violated, you know, by even one of my own cousins. But when this boy did this, you know, and it, I didn't feel intimidated or anything. He just smiled. And so one day he shows up at the bus stop with a joint and he says, hey, you know, you look like you need to be happy. So he taught me basically how to smoke pot. And three days later, you know, I found myself falling over into a bathtub laughing so hard. And I thought, man, I like this. I don't feel all this condemnation and, and hatred for myself and feel all this rejection. I think I found myself a way out. How long did it take you to get into a position where you were really more like an addict? A lot of people say that cigarettes are the actual gateway drug um, because uh, cigarettes is kind of like an open door. And a lot of people like to debate that. But marijuana technically is also um, defined as a gateway drug. But that just basically opened the door for me. And it wasn't necessarily about being high. It was in the beginning. But I learned that not only that it helped me escape from the pain and the turmoil and the issues that were going on at my house, but um, to find people that welcomed me without judgment. And then what I learned as I grew in that um, was that the drug, the drugs don't judge you. And so I started leaning on those kinds of things to be, to make me feel better. And so what happened was, as that progressed, 
one thing leads to another, you meet another person because now you're caught up in that circle. And then that person had an older sister and I was introduced to older men. And that's where the whole, that's where the train started. <laughs> well, you know, most women have quite, a, you know, they have natural inhibitions from God that are placed there on purpose. So would you say that drugs have a, play a big role in all those inhibitions going away that opens the door for you to do anything to, to make a way? Drugs are a part of it. Um, drugs, I've learned in these last 20 years plus, is that um, they're basically just a Band-Aid. It's that helps you to deal with stuff. Um, for me, it was inner turmoil. And I didn't really realize that I had all this inner turmoil. But I just knew I wasn't. Okay. But in my family, I didn't know, you know, we didn't talk about addiction and there wasn't abuse wasn't a word that we you I mean, for me it was a normal way of living. And I think for many people it's like that. When they don't know something different, what they have is their normal. And so they just survive through it until somebody tells you, Hey, that's not, you know, that's called abuse. And you go, what? You know, I mean, that's how I grew up, you know, but I'm in my mid fifties now. So back then we didn't talk about things like that. Back then you don't talk about what goes on in the house. You don't share anything outside. You know, everything has to look okay. Um, you know, I met these older men. Um, I was, I was intrigued by this, a friend of mine's sister. Um, I grew up with a bunch of boy cousins and, uh, and everybody around me was basically boys. So I grew up in that. And, and of course I had my mom and she was very, you know, she was, she could be very elegant and be very classy, but because a lot of my issues were with her, I didn't want to be anything like her. She wasn't somebody I wanted to model. And so when I met my friend's sister, the moment I laid eyes on her, I thought I want to be like her. And so in, within my own mind, I secretly allowed her to mentor me. One, because I saw that she wasn't intimidated around these men. Two, she had this beautiful smile. She was just very calm and uh, and kind of sensual in a soft way. And I was the complete opposite. Of, um, and I was always pretty much taught that you had to be strong. She was the opposite of everything I was. And I wanted to be more of that girly girl that had that sensual softness. And um, so anyway, I was at my friend's house all the time trying to be around her. And I just watched her with these with these men. And I thought, wow, she can really control them. You know, um, that was my issue because I had been controlled by them, abused by them. And so I needed to learn what she knew. And so I for years, that's what I, I did. And then at some point, one of the boys or men, you know, I, okay, you got to know that I'm in my junior, I'm in junior high school at this time. I'm like 14 and um, these guys are in like, they're one of them was like in his late twenties and the other one was probably in his early twenties. So for me, that's an older man. Well, one of them uh, gives me a second look, just like the boy at the bus stop. And the minute I saw that look and that smile, it was something about these men and their smiles. it just kind of, it opened that door for that. And so we started this thing where, you know, he uh, introduced me to, he could buy me beer and smoke pot. And I was already used to smoking pot. I already knew about beer because 
you know, that was always in my household. But um, he kind of invited me in. And the next thing I know it, you know, we're kissing and and I'm thinking he likes me. You know, I'm thinking that this is going to be like a boyfriend, girlfriend thing. You know, I I didn't really know about relationships. Well, uh, that went on for a little while. And then one evening I'm, you know, waiting for him to come by, thinking he's going to come pick me up. And he doesn't. He shows up way later. And the long and the short of it is, is that evening, um, I'm spending the night at my friend's house and uh, he knocks on the window. Uh, my friend's parents were never home. They were either working at night or they were at the bar. So we usually had the run of the house. And so that night when he shows up really super late and, uh, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know. And then, well, what happened was, is we had sex and he gets up and leaves. Up to that point, I had already been. I believe, molested by him and his cousin. That was it for me when he got up and said, thank you, (laughs) and went to walk out the door. And when he did that, something in me just went, that's enough. I made this inner vow. This will never happen to me again. So much so that I started changing my names. Uh, I would would change my own identity Mm -hmm. because I wanted to create this this person that nobody was ever going to harm again, or nobody was ever going to use again. That's what started my life because that night in my heart, I thought to myself, I am going to be the person these men come to and they're going to want things for me. And I'm going to be the source. I'm going to be the source that has the drugs. I'm going to be the source that has the money. I'm going to be the source that has what you need. I'm going to be the girl that's going to flip the quarter on the bed and say, thank you. This is never going to happen to me again. And I set out to become a drug dealer, um, I was going to have everything. And I did. I successfully did it by the time I was 17 years old. I had my own trailer. I was selling um, bags of cocaine. Those men, those same two men eventually found out what I was doing, knocked on my door. And when I opened the door in my mind, I was like, hello, I'm Mrs. Wolf. Come on in. And revenge is horrible. You know, the Bible says, God says to leave room for revenge for him. But the revenge that we come up with because of this pain, because of this hurt that we carry inside. um, And of course, again, that's all I knew. I was successful. I got really successful at trying to destroy those who I felt destroyed me because that's how deep that wound was. So I effectively got into that. And then once in my own heart thought I succeeded, especially with these two men, after that, I was, I was done. I thought, okay, now I need bigger fish to fry. <laughs> Sad, but I moved on and then I moved my way into Palm Beach and I crossed over the bridge and I went in there and I was like this wolf on a hunt and I was really success- successful at doing it. And then I ended up uh, working at strip bars, not stripping. But I was in there. I started uh, as um, like a waitress because I knew I could make more connections that way because that's where the men were. I mean, you you actually it was almost like it was almost like you had a business plan. I mean, now in hindsight, I go, oh, my gosh, you know, I was like a, an animal. Yeah, I guess you could say I did have some kind of business plan, but it was from the pain in my heart. I needed to get what was taken from me. I wanted to somehow get that back. And of course, I could never get that back. I could never get it back. My heart said, we have to go and get this back. And the thing is, is that the heart sent for me, 
this is how I like to explain it. It sends out a signal and my brain or the rest of me says, we have to respond to this signal. But whatever I have experience I have in me is the only experience I know how to live out of and to and to um, capitalize on or to maybe even get more get better educated in what I already have. I didn't know any. I mean, I knew about God. We were Catholics and I knew of God. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus at all. My mom would read me the Bible at night and she would tell me about things that I'm not allowed to do. But as far as that love, that connection that, you know, we now have with Jesus, that I have with Jesus, I didn't have that. So all I knew was, you hurt me, I hurt you. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so kind of how I, how I worked it until I got to a place where I met somebody and that I was with for six years, started trafficking drugs. And I mean, I got to a place where I was almost like, helping to run a county and a drug ring in in the county and I got to the place where I wanted to get but it was slowly like when I was in my teens I got to a place where I knew that okay um I could learn how to manipulate and control and I just had to be a certain way and then I could make things uh happen the way I want them to happen and then when that last thing happened and I decided this is what I was going to do you know, it's really interesting how the universe will feed you what you need. You end up meeting somebody that just so happens that happens to be a drug dealer. And that woman at Burger King introduces me into the drug world. And so I start off with a little quarter ounce of cocaine. Next thing you know it, I'm buying a, um, a Z28, a brown Z28. You know, I've got I've got enough money to go get my own place and I've got money where I'm I'm buying drugs all the time. And, you know, and so it just kind of and I don't even know how I knew how to do this. It wasn't like I was taught. It might have been inspired, but not by the right person. So it became like this thing. I mean, at one point, somebody said that me and this guy that I was with, we were like Bonnie and Clyde. I never aspired to be a drug. I, I don't think anybody ever, ever does do that, Dory. Well, let me let me ask you a question here now. Obviously, that went on for a while. But in March of 1999, something happened to you, a traumatic experience that began this transformation. Tell us about that. And Right. So, um, you know, I, I ended up uh, ended up uh, going to jail a couple of different times. And the last time they were going to lock me up for five years and uh, I had to get my life together. So. Um, I started doing that and had to get like a real job. I started this cleaning business. So one day in 1999, you know, I'm, I've got a partner at this time. We built, I, and we had to, I had to follow her to go drop her, her car off. So I'm sitting at a red, I just got a brand new truck. I just bought a brand new truck and I get hit by a two ton truck carrying 48 tanks of propane. He um, lost his brakes and he came careening down I-95 railroad track bar there. He flew up in the air and right into my truck, right into the driver's side door. It sent my truck spinning about three times, flipped me upside down, and sent me down about three football fields down the road. Everything I had was everywhere, all over the place. So that changed everything because now I don't have 100% use of my body. And that was the one thing was being able to be strong and always go whenever I needed to go. So, you know, I'm in my truck and I'm upside down and I didn't even realize that I was in a car accident. And uh, all of a sudden 
um, I just hear my name and I, I guess I snap out of it. I, I wake up and there's this man on his knees uh, at the window and he's telling me to, un, uh, to you know, unlatch the seatbelt. But anyway, he walks me to the side of the road and I'm asked what my name is. And in that moment, I had to think of what name do I go by in this situation? So anyway, I, in that moment, I thought this is serious enough that I have to, I have to use my name. And so I told them what my real name was. So yeah, in that moment, but I do remember so much fear gripped me that I thought, oh my God, I don't want to lose my mental capacity. I have to be able to think for myself because the moment that you lose that, then everybody else is back in control again. They life flighted you out of there to the hospital, did they not? Yeah, I was flied out to um, a hospital and, uh, you know, I, I was checked out and all that stuff. And I remember being in this room with the doctor uh, towards the end there and, and a police officer comes in. He's knocking on the door and, and he asked if he could, if I was awake. And the doctors were just shocked that I was even alive. Um, and, he, and the police officer, I just remember him looking at me, shaking his head. And he's just kind of looking at me in awe. And he goes, you are the luckiest woman alive right now. There you are. Uh, really in a moment where your life is going to be transformed. How did you get from there to really accepting Jesus and pursuing him? I had to go stay at my parents' house for a few months, and they took care of me. And But then I finally got to a place where I could go back to my apartment because I still had my apartment. And I went back there, and um, that's when it got really dark uh, because, one, I was alone a lot. And, um, you know, my son— he would stay with my mother and father a lot. And that's pretty much in my book too, because I really wasn't a good mother growing up, uh, you know, raising my son and all that. But I was at the house and I would be there by myself. And what happened was is the, the dread, the hopelessness, and, you know, really realizing that I've lost everything. And now I'm on these pain pills and all kinds of pills. And, and it just got really, really dark. And I got to a place of thinking, well, you know, the truck accident didn't take my life, but, you know, I can. <laughs> so I started planning uh, what this was going to look like. And I, I I took about three days, stayed awake for three days. And I wasn't even on cocaine or anything. I was just in this emotional, I've lost everything. Like the book of Job, I've lost everything. I was going to do it. And I got up on the third day that morning. It was around seven in the morning or so. I know it was daylight coming up and I just was getting out of my recliner to go to my dresser drawer. I was going to get all those bottles of pills. I was going to drink, you know, take them down and drink some beer with it. And I was just going to go to sleep. And right as I got up, there was a knock on my window and it was a friend of mine. I answered the door. He says, I look awful. I, of course. And so he said, Hey, do you want to go to the beach? And in that moment, I thought, you know what? I'll postpone what I'm doing and I'll go to the beach. So we went to the beach and that morning on the beach, while I'm watching the waves go in and out thinking, boy, if I could just be out there and just be done with it, this would just be a, a great day if I could just be done with it. And in that moment, I see this guy jogging down the beach and he's looking at me. And, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of love for men. You know, this buddy of mine was my buddy, but different like that. But, and this guy's smiling at me and I'm think I'm looking at him and thinking, what is, why is he staring at me? Like, what's his problem? And he keeps jogging. And I was looking, and I could see like a guy beside him. He was wearing like a, um, like a white robe. And if you ever been to Palm beach or, or in Florida at the beaches, it's very normal, especially in the morning to 
to be walking down the beach with your robe on, you know, first thing in the morning. And I'm talking to first thing in the morning. Well, this guy's jogging. He's got shorts on and there's a guy beside him. But anyway, so this guy's smiling at me. I'm thinking, what is he smiling at? Why does he keep looking at me? And as he gets almost directly in front of me, he looks right at me. And when he does, he smiles. And there's that smile again. He smiles really big and he's looking at me, but it looks like he's looking through me. And I was thinking to myself, God, he looks a lot like those Jesus pictures my mom's got. You know, Catholics, a lot of them will have a lot of Jesus pictures <laughs> and crosses. That's what I was thinking. So yeah. as he, this guy keeps jogging by and he's still smiling. Uh, and I turned to my buddy and I said, hey, you know, look at this guy jogging down the beach. He looks just like those Jesus pictures. He looks like that, that guy, Jesus, you know. We both look up at that moment and the guy's gone. Like I look to the left, I look to the right, and he's not there. So anyway, and I think this is what kicked it off, is we're driving back. We leave, we're driving back. And my buddy says to me, you know what your problem is, Didi? Because I was going by Didi at the time. And I said, what? He says, you don't have any faith. I said, faith? What's that? He goes, you just don't believe in anything. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> and that's kind of, I think that's what started it at that moment. So I end up going home that day. and. I go, and this is what's so cool is my mom used to harp on me all the time that I needed to watch the Christian. Uh, I get home, I'm walking up to my door at my apartment, you know, knowing that this is what I'm going to do. I got to finish what I thought about this morning. I hear in my ear audibly, because I'm hearing my mom scream at me, literally. Like I'm hearing this voice and it's my mom's voice hollering at me about, I need Jesus. And I just remember saying out loud, nobody's there, it's just me. And I said, I don't even know what the channel is. I don't even know what channel it's on. And I hear audibly, four, six. I open the door. I reach down on the coffee table. I pick up the remote control, turn it on. I press four, six. Sure enough, it's the Christian channel. And uh, I just start watching it. And it's kind of a blur. But after three days of that, I got on my knees in my living room and I said, God, I don't know who you are. I said, I don't know anything about you, but whatever you got, I want it. I need it. And then that was it. I, that's all I said. I didn't say anything else because I didn't know what to say. And I just started crying. And I wasn't sad. I wasn't feeling any kind of way. It was just like somebody had turned on the waterworks and I just I cried for three days. I had a dream one of those nights. And I didn't even know what it was. This is just how weird I was. But I didn't even know. But like this lamb slept with me that night, like on my back. And that was always my thing that people had to watch my back. I had to be protected. I had to be safe. Well, because I would always sleep with the lights on because of the things that I would see at night. I remember having to call my mom and tell her, you know, because even at one point my foot got healed. You know, I'm watching this preacher and he says, you are healed. And uh, I had no feeling in my in, in my foot from the accident. Um, I had nerve damage and I had feeling in my big toe. I remember calling my mom at 1230 at night and, and she first thing she says, what's the matter? What's going on? Where, 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 what's the matter? Uh, thinking I'm in trouble again. I just said, mom, mom, I could feel my foot. I'm watching that channel you told me to watch. And the guy said I'm healed and I could feel my toe. I can feel my foot. And she said, OK, OK, I'll talk to you in the morning. My same buddy comes over, the one that went to. Uh, to the beach with me and I'm telling him, hey, you know, I told him what happened and uh, about this dream and, and what I did. And, and, and he just kind of looked at me. He's trying to tell me, he said, he said, that was a, a, that was a lamb. I'm like, what's a lamb? And 
he's trying to tell me this whole thing about sheep and lamb and Jesus and this and that. And he goes, he was just smiling so big because he knew that something had happened. Now, was he? He wasn't a believer either, was he? But he was, I think, either Pentecostal. He just went to a non-denominational church or something. I didn't know anything about that. We weren't. We grew up straight yeah. Catholic. My dad was very strict about what church we went to. During that period of time is when you really came to Jesus, so to speak. But you came to Jesus, and it, and it set you on a path. Well, I ended up finding a, a non-denominational church through the Yellow Pages. <laughs> I start learning about this Jesus. I just wanted to find out who this guy was. Boy, I'll tell you what, I fell headlong. But this this one couple that I ended up meeting were the same couple that the Lord used to not only live next door to me for a year and a half, but sent them to North Georgia, which would eventually be where he would send me. And that would be to a residential women's recovery ministry. So in that process, that process of... uh of uh, transformation so forth for you to a point where you wanted to begin to help other people certainly didn't happen overnight, did it? No, it did not happen overnight. In fact, I didn't like people very much, particularly women. Um, I just, I just had a, a hard time of, I could hang out with men. And I think a lot of, a lot of people that'll hear this and they can understand it was very easy for me to hang out with a group of men. No problem. Because in those instances, I felt in control. I had groomed myself enough throughout so many years that I felt comfortable in a room full of men. But in a room full of women, no, I felt very uncomfortable, very insecure. Um, Yeah, so it was very, very hard to do that. Um, But it's where God used, God used women to help me. To, to get to a place where I'm, where I'm at and, today. And now, actually. I mean, you have actually, your, your life is so different from, from what it used to be. I mean, you're now in the ministry. My goodness, you're out there helping women that have been through the very same kind of struggles that you have in their children. I mean, th- this is really an amazing thing, but it's taken you from the time you actually decided you wanted to do that until now. It's taken you probably 20 years to get there, hasn't it? It's taken a long time for me when I first started uh, with this whole thing. At first, I thought, you know, this is just like the weirdest thing ever. Who lives in a in a modular or regular house in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of women who are struggling with situations like I am and, and put us all together? <laughs> it's just it's like, the weird, you know, I thought this is just not God. This can't be God. <laughs> so um, but uh, yeah, he he God used that. And I just remember him telling me that he was going to start. It was like an excavation. Have you ever seen those men on the side of the road who use that uh, great big old tool that they got to get through concrete Uh sidewalks? Okay. That's the picture that I got in my head. And I thought, okay, I must have a heart of stone. And it's only going to take Jesus to help kind of get through all of that. There was a lot of stuff in there, but it's taken a lot of time. And and it's worked because, you know, I look at you now and I talk to you now, even from when we met, I mean, you were a believer then, but even from then, you're not even the same person anymore. I mean, you're a completely different uh, woman and it's just amazing what God has done in your life. Yeah. Well, you know what, like with my book, Jim, I wrote the book. I believe that the heart of the message of my book is the same heart that God has taken all this time to transform, you know, and I've really tried to, to be able to honor him in that. Uh, because sometimes I look at myself and I go, Whoa. well, you know, the, the title of your book says it all stripped of shame. 
I mean, I mean, you had plenty to overcome. You had plenty of shame in your life. No one had to make you feel guilty about anything. You had more of that than you could handle, I'm sure. How Jesus transformed me from the inside out. All the things that I had addictions to, all the behavioral issues that I had, all the emotional issues that I had. Um, now, I'm not going to say that I didn't relapse during the you know, during these 20 years, because I, I've had, I have, there were times where I just couldn't take it anymore. And, and I would go smoke or I would go have a drink. Um, when I had to have back surgery, I was back on pain medication again. And then I spent a whole nother year trying to battle that because it was already so in me. You weren't suddenly delivered of everything. No. <laughs> I know that, that no. those people that tell me they have, I'm so jealous of those. I'm like, why didn't God do that? <laughs> but there was, so much involved, but I'll tell you what, I don't believe the disease theory anymore because I have seen way too many people who, when they really surrender and take this seriously, and they really take Jesus seriously and want to get to know him on that relational level. And, and I think the key is self-hatred. Everybody has a little part of themselves that they don't approve of. Once Jesus can eradicate those things and you really can go there and uh, those things that are drugs, alcohol, pornography, working 70 hours a week just because you can't deal with reality, whatever, whatever it is, uh, those things disappear. They just literally go away. Bible says that that the things of the world become strangely dim. As you begin to know Jesus, that stuff begins to fade away, and you really realize it's what was in you. There's no disease at all. There's there's an enemy at work, and we have a flesh that, that wants to go against everything God created us to be. Someone going through a, a situation like this that might be hearing this, and they haven't made any steps or anything, just real quickly, what would you like to say to somebody who's in the middle of something right now and they don't know how to get out? Nobody can understand what I'm going through. I'm the only one, and my book will tell you you're not the only one. There is so many of us out here, and the problem is is we've been quieted. Our voices have been stolen. We've been shushed. You're not allowed to say it. There's some family rule you're still living under. Whatever it is, it's shame. I can't let anybody see the real me, but the problem is is they see the real you because it seeps out eventually. Eventually, it comes out in some kind of fruit. You have, We all have fruit. And boy, I would love to get into that. But we all have fruit. By their fruit, you will know them. And so it still comes out. We can we can be effective at hiding stuff. They'll leak. <laughs> the Bible says from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're around somebody long enough, you can usually get a little sense of what's going on on the inside. Well, you know, yeah. we're going to have to have yeah. you come back because I think there's so many things to explore. As I read through your book, I'm going to come up with some other ideas. And let's we need to do another show about this. This is really important. For somebody who's gone through all of this, recovered from it, and I know you're still, your mind is still being renewed. Everybody's mind is still being renewed. None of us are there yes, perfectly. Still being renewed. But we'll have to do another yes. one of these and uh, and go into some other areas. So if somebody wanted to get your book, Stripped of Shame, or contact you or know more about your ministry, how in the world would they do that? Okay, well, I have my website. It's strippedofshame.com. You can find anything you need on there. You can. Uh, that should also have a link that will lead you to buy my book on Amazon. Um, also, I have a Facebook page, so that's stripped of shame as well. 
Um, I am starting this women's recovery ministry, which is Lighthouse. And so that can be found at uh, recovery.lhwc.org. Um, so I can be found there. Of course, I'm always on Facebook, Instagram. And it has been so nice to have you on the program here. And uh, I just want to thank everybody for listening today. We're going to have Doreen back if she's willing to come back. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's just been a wonderful story hearing about this and how God has transformed your life. And, you know, the people who are listening, you have a story, too, and it's probably even better than you think. So share it with somebody. You know, stories touch the hearts of people. So if you have a story, tell someone. You might find out that you can lead them to Jesus through your story. So if you like this podcast, be sure and subscribe. You can go to my website at mygrandpajimmy.com, or you can email me at mygrandpajimmy at gmail.com. So all of you have a blessed day. Thank you so much for being on our program, Doreen. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me.